everybody, welcome to 12 Days of the Comic Source Presents Bad Idea. It's a Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration coming to you for the holidays. Everybody knows what the 12 Days of Christmas are, so as we're counting down 12 days away from Christmas, we decided this year, as Bad Idea Fan of the Year, I should celebrate Bad Idea. Uh, Rocky, unfortunately, doesn't have a Bad Idea retailer in his area. So I did, you know, make some, I don't want to call them bootleg digital copies, but basically I just took a picture of the, the, you know, page by page of the books and sent them over to him so he could read them and talk about them too, because he's somebody I love collaborating with. I know he has a passion for good stories. We know Bad Idea has great stories. Uh, so we are going to show some artwork and some pages from the book, but just keep in mind, you know, it's not the best quality. It's not meant to be, um, but as we're talking about these stories, we do want you to have some idea of how uh, amazing they are. So we're going to kick it off with Bad Ideas' very first release, ENIAC, which came back uh, came out way back in 2020 now, I think, uh, was, was their first release. Written by Matt Kent, amazing artwork from Doug Braithwaite. Uh, if you follow Rocky's channel, if you listen to the comic source, we did review, I think, the first two issues way back in the day. Um, but never, never had a chance to finish it. We're going to talk about the series as a whole um, now, and we'll, you know, I'll kind of break it down a little bit by, by issue and give you an idea. It, I would say it's going to be kind of spoilery because we're going to talk about story beats. We're going to talk about the story overall. But I went back and reread all four issues uh, in preparation to talk about this. And man, it was even better reading it. This is probably the third or fourth time I've read it. And every time I read it, I'm just, I'm struck by kind of the complexity of the story, the little Easter eggs, the way Matt Kent ties in real-world events with the overall story of ENIAC. It's just so amazing. And the Doug Braithwaite art is just, just amazing. It's so great. So I love this series. I think it's very worthy of being Bad Idea's first release. And I have a feeling that um, the upcoming Megalith is probably going to, be the most similar bad idea title to this in terms of quality and and the scope of the story that's lewis la rosa art and i can't wait for that as well so uh rocky this is i think the first chance you had to read the end of the series uh what are your thoughts on it? yeah what are your thoughts on it two years later finally well, getting first the of all, let, let me scold bad idea and, and my retailer online for uh not scold bad idea i gotta scold my retailer i i, I really want him to uh to get more get bad idea into his shop, but uh, he has uh, to date he has not d done so. But I, I did read the first two issues. I reviewed them with you. It's such a timely story. It, it basically deals with AI, and I got to tell you, uh, lately there's been a lot of movement on the AI front. And in fact, since we reviewed the first two issues, we ha uh, since that time, Chat GPT made its debut. It's evolved. I mean, AI, all of the timely issues, all of the sort of nightmare scenarios, the questions about AI, what it can mean, uh, our fears, our hopes for it, our uh, everything surrounding it, our anxiety surrounding what the worst that could happen. Would it be a Terminator scenario? Would it be something else? It, this is a comic book that plays into fears, plays into the optimism, plays into that wide range of emotions. It's a very timely tale, especially now, even more so than when it came out. So I was so interested to, 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 to read how how Matt Kind uh, ended this story. And I'm uh, really excited to review the, uh, the whole series with you now. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned how AI is, uh, you know, even more on the forefront than when this came out a couple of years ago. Um, being that ENIAC has its roots in uh, World War II, 
which a lot of people still have, I almost want to say nostalgia for, like, you know, the greatest generation or whatever. I mean, we were just so victorious. It was a real time for patriotism. Um, This paints it a little bit of a different light. And, and, you know, as I said uh, before, uh, Matt can't tie a lot of real world events into it. So let's talk about ENIAC in general. So ENIAC actually stands for Electronic Numerical Integrator and Computer. So... Uh, and that, that, that was a real program that the U.S. government launched during World War II, one of the very first computers, gigantic, to try to, you know, um, work on weather patterns and determine uh, bomb runs and what have you in, in Europe. So Kid Story postulates what happens if that computer became a lot more intelligent, much quicker than we realized, you know, much more advanced, gained sentience and then kind of transcended us. And, and sort of took over, if you will. So, um, yeah, as I said, the roots in, um, in World War II. So the story starts off and we meet these, uh, these couple of secret agents, if you will. They used to be in the U.S. military. Now they're freelance. Um, they used to be a couple, actually. They met in the Army. Um, and they're, they are very uh, capable I would say, would you say Rocky, very capable, oh, oh, extremely uh, capable, quite, quite yeah. capable. Yes. Yeah. Soldiers, assassins, what have you. And, uh, it's really interesting. So we have, uh, Fletcher and Falk, uh, Fletcher being the Caucasian Falk being the African-American. And what's so interesting. So we get almost like a James Bond beginning, right? Where we see them on a mission. They're taking out some, um, some Russians who were putting bounties on U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan, and they go and t- take them out and stop that. And then it jumps to an undisclosed unlo- location, and we see this guy who's out in the middle of nowhere in the desert, and he's sweating. And then we see Fletcher and Falk meet him out there, and they're all naked. And you're like, what the heck's going on? And that's where we get the first uh, introduction into ENIAC. So uh, this gentleman that's out there, he's actually the Secretary of Defense for the United States. And he's hiring Falk and Fletcher to take out ENIAC. And he's the one that gives us the, the origin of ENIAC and explains how, uh, you know, shows a couple of inventors. One guy who decides to really feed ENIAC a lot more information uh, because he, he believes that ENIAC could, could be more. His name is Ned. The other uh, inventor's name is Roman. Um, so eventually U.S. government... Uh, agrees, capitulates, and they they hire these women to basically type the world's you know entire knowledge base into ENIAC so that ENIAC knows everything we know. And then the story postulates that the second bomb that was dropped, right? We know about the bomb being dropped on Hiroshima, the second one on Nagasaki. President Truman never gave the order for the second bomb to be dropped. That was all ENIAC. ENIAC knew that it would uh, you know save lives and it would. Uh, it would stop the war in its tracks. And so he's the one that actually gave the order. But Truman orders ENIAC destroyed. He, he thinks that Ned uh, actually gave the order. He doesn't realize at this point that ENIAC um, is basically sentient. And on top of that, ENIAC also orders bombs dropped on other uh, capitals, right? The capital of, uh, of Moscow. Um, I'm trying to remember where else. Anyway, there, there's three targets that they order the bombs to be uh, dropped on it. And basically it's ENIAC. He's trying to stop the cold war, Moscow, Leningrad and, and, uh, Tankograd. Um, so three targets in the Soviet union to stop the cold war from happening because ENIAC has become so smart so quickly 
even back then in the mid to late forties, it could almost, it, it was so smart. It could almost see the future. It could almost predict what was going to happen. And the United States sends out a strike team to the uh, aircraft carrier where, the, because again, these guys are just following orders. They don't realize that the orders are not coming from the president. And so the strike team is sent out and they actually, it's, it's, American soldier killing American soldier to stop these bombs from being dropped. Um, and, you know, in retrospect, you wonder if we might not have been better off had the, you know, I mean, the cold war was a lot of, uh, a lot of fear, a lot of worry from a lot of people that nuclear Holocaust was going to occur. It never did. Thank God we're all still here. Um, but you wonder, you know, in a different scenario, if any act might not have been, uh, been right. But unfortunately, for the world at large, uh, at least in terms of uh, what the U.S. government feels, um, ENIAC was not destroyed. Now, remember, this is pre-internet. This is pre-network. So when they bombed Area 23, which was the place where ENIAC was created, they thought that they took ENIAC out. Um, but come to find out, there was a spy there. He smuggled ENIAC out, or at least enough of his program that ENIAC was able to rebuild itself. It was a, a Russian spy. Um, and so now... ENIAC has, over the years, always sent a message on January 1st every year to the U.S. government, typically a quote from somebody famous, Gandhi, just very cryptic and kind of, hey, I'm still here sort of thing. And this year, uh, the story postulates, the year the story is taking place, on January 1st, ENIAC doesn't send a message, uh, doesn't send a quote, he just sends a countdown. And it's a countdown that basically something's going to happen in three days. And they don't know what it is, although they speculate that ENIAC, who has gained all sorts of knowledge and power and is in every system in the world, kind of think Skynet, right, from Terminator, they're worried that ENIAC's going to launch all the nuclear weapons and take out all of humanity. So that's what Falk and Fletcher are hired by the secretary to do, to go and take out ENIAC. Uh, and even though they're out in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the desert, they think, uh, you know, no electronics, no clothes, whatever. They think they're safe from ENIAC's eyes. They're under an umbrella, so ENIAC can't see with a satellite or what have you. But ENIAC's smart, and basically what he does is he uses a satellite that's aimed at a solar panel that's quite a ways away from where they are, but it's ENIAC, right? He's electronic. He can look at the reflection in the solar panel from them, you know, however many yards or a mile or whatever they are away and enhance the image and read the lips of what the Secretary of Defense is telling Falk and Fletcher. Again, ENIAC is one step ahead. Uh, so he knows that Falk and Fletcher are, are coming after him. So, yeah, like you said, Rocky, AI, artificial intelligence, uh, you know, so, something that is so much smarter than us. Um, and what could its motives be? They, they have no idea. So, uh, what, what else is interesting is when the creator talks about it and his co-creator talks about it of ENIAC, they talk about, you know, Pandora's box. Should they do this? E even when they say, when the government, the army comes to them and says, hey, you know, ask the question, ask the equation. Because we're told that Oppenheimer and his uh, colleagues get stuck. They're not able to actually create the bomb. And it's ENIAC's knowledge and ENIAC's intelligence that allows the atomic bomb to be completed the atomic bomb project, which ultimately ends the war. And at one point, Ned, he's reluctant to get ENIAC involved in that, you know, and it's that question that I always talk about. We as a society, we as uh, humans, as a civilization, so often we ask ourselves, can we do this? 
We're presented with a problem. Can we solve it? At no point do we ever stop to think, should we solve it? Should, you know, like you create things like the atomic bomb, you create things like VX poison gas, like maybe you shouldn't be creating it. You know, there's, there's that idea to, to strive and grow and invent. And it's something inherently human about that. And you say, can I do this? Can I, you know, overcome this challenge? Not stopping to think of, should I not stopping to think about the consequences way down the road? Well, That's a lot of what this first issue is consequences. And it's uh, the scary thing about it is, uh, well, it's 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 both equally terrifying but equally possibly uplifting depending on what ENIAC does. Because ENIAC, you've created ENIAC, uh, he, she, it, they, whatever you want to call it, uh, is, I mean, it's created. Well, you created me. Well, you know, you let P- Pandora out of the box. If you created something that's really good at the art of war, that is really good at chess, and you get your ass kicked, I mean, it wants to win. I mean, so you, you you almost can't blame ENIAC for doing what it does at the beginning of this four-issue series. It wins a war. At, at one point, ENIAC sends out a calculation that says, one bomb, check. Two bombs, checkmate. Two bombs will end the world war. ENIAC is just acting logically. And ENIAC's a, it's a, ENIAC is a function of what we programmed it to be. And so we're getting exactly what we wish for and in fact created. And, and yet, you know, we always sort of, we like to, I mean, the hubris, hubris of humanity, we're so arrogant. We, we, we will create an atomic bomb and then we'll, we'll pride ourselves for, for restraint and not using it. Like, well, why'd you create it in the first place then? So you could pat yourself on the back and not use it? And you, why? You, don't tell me you're not going to use it. You created it. And so can you blame artificial intelligence in thinking, well, you, we did create this. Obviously, we're going to use it, right? And so uh, I kind of like that the aspect of this series that really I enjoyed, and, and I'll comment more for when we get near and how, how this series uh, ended so spectacularly is that, is that, no, be careful what you wish for, and if, uh, but only if you're really, really lucky will this AI, I mean, fortunately, but for the grace of uh, God, literally, a God in the machine, sometimes your salvation can come from the, from the most unexpected of places. Yeah, and it's, it's sort of interesting, right? You talk about hubris, you talk about our, our, our flaws, but none of us are perfect, you know? Humanity, um, human intelligence, whatever, it comes with inherent, uh, the inherent possibility of making a mistake, uh, you know, we're just, we're not machines. We have emotions. There's other reasons that we m- make mistakes we make. So it's almost like, can you create something that, that is mistake free? You know, that, that's really the, the, the question we're asking here. So you're going to create this machine and it, it only deals in, uh, in logic and ones and zeros. It only deals in facts, but at the same time, it almost has some uh, emotion. It doesn't want to be destroyed. It, it, you know, we've created it in a way it's, it, it's behavior, it's thinking is modeled after us because we as humans created it. Uh, so, of course, it wants to survive. Same survival instinct that we have. Um, maybe a lot of the same flaws that we have as well. So, as Falk and Fletcher go on the mission uh, to destroy it, they, they quickly realize as they're, they're heading to Russia to meet with somebody who ha- had a hand in um, ENIAC getting smuggled out and, you know, dealt with ENIAC during the Cold War when it sort of invaded you know, all different computers around the world. He's kind of the last living link to ENIAC. They're on their way there. Their plane gets shot down. They realize, hey, ENIAC's not supposed to know we're coming, but does know we're coming. We get some great action scenes as Falk and Fletcher show 
uh, how capable they are infiltrating this base. They uh, rescue this guy. Supposedly, he may have a way to destroy ENIAC. We get some flashbacks, as I said, into what happened, you know, after uh, after the war, and ENIAC um, establishes a base in uh, a very remote, remote part of Russia. Women and um, girls who'd gone missing that they thought had uh, had been killed. Um, ENIAC actually uh, gave them sort of a safe haven, and they sort of took care of ENIAC's needs, and in turn, he gave them shelter. Um, and there's talk of brain them being brainwashed into believing ENIAC provides and, and that sort of thing. But, I mean, in reality, he does. And so uh, this Russian and Ned, you know, the original uh, creator of ENIAC, go and, and come face-to-face with ENIAC for the first time <laughs> since um, the attempted uh, destruction of ENIAC after the end of World War II. And ENIAC says, I, you know, I knew this day would come. I knew I would see you. I kind of wanted to kill you, but I really couldn't. You know, I think of you as, you know, my father. You know, be on your way. And, and basically, ENIAC, you want to talk about checkmate. ENIAC shows the world, you know, these guys were there to try to find some way to destroy it. He shows the world that, no, I'm one step ahead of you. As Ned and this other uh, Russian agent are there, um, at that same moment, like he times it out so well, at that same moment, uh, nuclear devices are delivered to the Kremlin and the White House. And ENIAC could basically blow up Moscow and blow up uh, Washington, D.C. So this Andrik, uh, Adronikov and Ned are, are basically forced to, to retreat. And ENIAC says, yeah, you will. He, he, and he starts a countdown on those nuclear devices. But he stops it at one second and says, basically, you, you know, you only get to live because of my mercy, because I'm letting you live. But if you ever come after me again, I'll destroy you all. And so it's kind of like, you know, you want to talk about the Cold War. So we, you know, in reality, think of the Cold War as this uh, ratcheted up tensions between uh, communist countries and the United States and other uh, Western uh, superpowers and what have you during the, you know, late 50s, mid to late 50s, through the 60s, 70s, and and up to the, about the mid 80s. Uh, but really... This postulates not just a Cold War between those countries, but also a Cold War between ENIAC. ENIAC's continuing to evolve, continuing to learn, um, and basically has his finger on the button, much like, you know, you think about the Cold War, some guy somewhere with the finger on the button or a key to turn a, in a lock to launch a missile. Uh, ENIAC's got us over a barrel, uh, but decides not to, uh, to destroy us. So Falk and Fletcher rescue this Andronikov, um, from this Russian prison. Hey, you have a way to destroy it. They take him to a, a very remote cabin, get the information out of him. He says he, he may possibly have a way to destroy ENIAC, but of course they're not really hidden from ENIAC. ENIAC sends um, some forces after them. And we find out Andronikov is, uh, is mortally wounded, but we find out that the um, sort of the cloak or serape uh, poncho, whatever it is that he's wearing, I think it's, Technically, a serape because it doesn't have any sleeves. It just has a hole for his uh, for his head. It's got woven in it a binary code, right? Like a knot is one, and a clear piece of str- a straight piece of string is a zero. And so he's knotted it in such a way that it's binary code, and it's supposedly it's a way to uh, to destroy any act. But they have to go and find a woman named Rosa Jules. She has the other half of whatever this very rudimentary analog program is that can destroy ENIAC 
But as kind of a shocking twist, at the end of that issue, we find out that um, Fletcher's mother is is Rosa Jules. It's actually uh, Fletcher's mother. So again, you just wonder how many steps ahead ENIAC has, uh, has been. So that's where the tension really starts ramping up. You start thinking, man, just how smart is ENIAC? How many steps ahead is he? Uh, and the Braithwaite art, if, if anything, it's even better than the first issue. So um, second issue, though, it's a little bit more intimate action. I mean, the first one introduced the story and had a huge scope. Now that we're focusing on these two female soldiers who are trying to take ENIAC out, we're seeing Andronikov get um, wiped out. We're, we're seeing how ENIAC personally was affecting people's lives, these Russian women that were brainwashed and what have you. The story started to feel a little more like personal and intimate. So I, I appreciated that for Matt Kitten as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on the second issue, Rocky? Uh, well, the second issue just, well, uh, the story just continues to build. You get, we get more, we just get more. Uh, uh, I was more fascinated with the second issue, just with the, the character building, just getting to know the characters, uh, Fletcher in particular relationship with her mother. And, and that becomes more significant as, as we get into the, the final two issues. And uh, just the just the rich history, because you don't uh, I like I, what I really like. I always like time travel tales. And I always like when writers can very cleverly sort of rewrite, take existing history that we know and love or know and hate and rewrite it and say, we thought in our world, we thought this was happening, but it was really something very, very different. But yet it's radically different. And yet it actually is perfectly consistent with our history. We just didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. And that's what makes ENIAC such so sort of brilliantly written and completely believable. And maybe I'm a product of my time, particularly the last 10 years, you know, especially now when apparently aliens really do exist in so many of the conspiracy, uh, JFK actually, there was a conspiracy to kill him. All these conspiracies are apparently true. Why can't ENIAC be true? <laughs> For all I know, maybe this really happened and ENIAC, you know, took control of bad idea and created a bad idea comic book company. And, you know, maybe NAX behind this entire publishing initiative for all I know. Who knows? Matt Kint is just a clone or something. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, but it, it, it's a really fun story. And it's it sort of, it, it, I love a comic book that takes itself seriously. You know, it's, it's written with a high degree of verisimilitude. I believe this stuff is happening. And I can be, you know, if I was, if I was impressionable enough, you know, you could convince me that, hey, yeah, you know, this stuff actually happened, you know? I mean, this this would be something you could play a trick on one of your, your best buddy who's hammered all the time. You could, you know, no, this is what happened. It's ENIAC. And <laughs> I'm sure you could you could convince some people if you could make a documentary and make it sound real, people would believe this story. That's, that's what I love about it. Issue two just sort of carries on that central conceit and it does it in a very convincing way. And bear in mind, that's when we stopped reviewing was after issue two. So, you know, I mean, I've been like, in my head, I've been wondering, how is this thing going to end? So <laughs> I want to get to talk about issue three and four. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, to your point of, of using real world events, that's the thing that really blew me away about issue three. It kicks off and we get a chance to see Rosa Jules. We get a chance to see Fletcher's mother. She worked for NASA and they bring in the Challenger disaster that happened in 1986. And it's it said that, yeah, something that O-ring that failed or whatever, it was something added to the blueprints by ENIAC that nobody realized. Uh, and it was a way for ENIAC to get himself out into space. So ENIAC is out there in space, infecting the satellites, you know, um, expanding his sphere of influence, expanding his sphere of, uh, of knowledge. 
by being able to be in the satellites and observe uh, humanity and what have you. Unfortunately, Fletcher's mother gets blamed for it, um, and she, she kind of loses it. Uh, in a way, she talks about being infected by ENIAC, ENIAC, like hearing it. She ends up in a mental hospital. Um, unfortunately, her, you know, she's out in the desert for a while on her own with her daughter. Obviously not the best environment for Fletcher to be raised in. She's experimenting with psychedelic drugs, mushrooms, that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, it's clear that uh, this Challenger disaster really derailed her life. She's a brilliant scientist. Now she's kind of out there. Uh, one of those, you know, crackpot conspiracy theorists, whatever, um, kind of hard to understand her when she talks because it, it just seems like she's not making sense, not logical. But they go visit her in Stockholm, Sweden, you know, Andronikov, you know, did say, hey, she's got the other half of what you need to destroy ENIAC. And it's a it's a it's a wooden board that has holes in it. So it's kind of the other half, right? Like they have the string that has the knots. So you feed the knots into these holes in a certain order. And that's the basically kind of a rudimentary, like I said, binary language, binary code that will supposedly kill ENIAC. So we get a little bit more flashback of Fletcher seeing, you know, her life, some of the things that she's been with, uh, been through and, you know, dealing with her mother's uh, almost like dementia, uh, almost like schizophrenia in a way. Um, and obviously Falk is concerned about her. They're not in a relationship anymore, but they were romantic at one time. So obviously, and they're still uh, partners. So obviously there's. Um, some concern there. So once they feel like, okay, we have these two pieces that we need to destroy ENIAC, they, they need to uh, contact the secretary of defense to figure out, you know, uh, they need some backup. They, they're, they need to f uh, go where they think ENIAC is uh, and, you know, feed this code in and destroy him. But how are they going to communicate to the secretary that they uh, are ready for next steps and that they need backup? Well, what are you going to do if it's somebody who is able to hack all sorts of electronics? Carrier pigeon. They use carrier pigeons. They send a note to uh, to the Secretary of Defense. He's like, hey, your, your backup's already on the way. These uh, soldiers show up. And they first of all, you know, they're gun-ho, special op, you know, ops uh, soldiers, soldiers of fortune, what have you. The best of the best. Uh, these guys are rough and tumble. And they're having to take orders from women. And the first thing the women do when they get there, say, take all your clothes off, get butt ass naked and burn all your equipment. Anything that has a microchip, anything that ENIAC could, you know, hack or whatever. And they're just like, wait, what? You guys are nuts. Whatever. They're like, trust us. This is going to keep us alive. Just wait till you see our plane. Because the same thing with their plane, completely stripped down. No GPS, no radio, no radar, nothing. They're like, how are we? It's like we're flying blind. And uh, Falk's like, hey, humanity was navigating long before there was GPS thousands of years before. We'll be fine. So they get out to the middle of nowhere in Ethiopia. Um, they find the kind of the silo or the bunker, bunker where um, where they think ENIAC is. And there's some hints that maybe Fletcher, maybe Fletcher's mom isn't as crazy as everybody thought or she was presented. Maybe ENIAC really did infect her in some way. And not only Fletcher's mother. Um, Rosa Jules, but maybe Fletcher herself. Because at one point, when they get close to the bunker, um, Fletcher kind of collapses, and when Falk looks at her, her eyes are all blacked out, um, and she's having a flashback. She's thinking back to previous times, um, and you kind of wonder what that's all about. Uh, so they go down into the silo, Fletcher, Falk, and the soldiers, and once again, Eniac is steps and steps ahead of them. There are uh, recreations of 
settings, of scenes, of places in these soldiers' lives. Uh, the flat that one soldier grew up in where his father lived is there. Um, it's clear, again, ENIAC is... Not only did ENIAC know they were going to find him, not only did ENIAC know they were going to come and try to destroy him, he knew exactly which soldiers, which men were going to, to be there. So ENIAC, again, one step ahead. And uh, again, really great issue, provides a lot of context uh, to Fletcher and who she is and a lot of hints about what's to come in the, uh, in the final issue. So uh, I think the best thing about issue three is, is kind of the, the sense of foreboding that it creates. It really rap- ratchets up the tension, as I said, and hints at things to come. So you had a chance to read it for the first time, Rocky. What'd you think? Uh, you hit the nail on the head when you say build up tension. I there, you, There's no question. I finished reading issue three and, and I was, I was fairly convinced and, uh, and, and my, my suspicions, uh, well, my suspicions, I, I won't, I, I don't want to spoil issue four. We'll be talking about that in a bit, but I, it immediately, I really, I thought they were screwed. I thought there's, how do you beat this thing? Uh, because this thing, look at how far in just 10 years, since 96, when I think it was 1996 when Facebook came out, look at the technological advancement we've had just since 96. And this ENIAC's been in existence since the forties and, and, Issue three, it just seemed hopeless. I mean that even even using carrier pigeons, communicating while naked in a desert, for God's sakes. I mean, trying to avoid and trying to just go analog, completely avoid technology. It's impossible. It just shows how truly impossible it is. And that's a that's a compliment, of course. I think to to the writing as well, because it really made you think: where would you go to avoid being detected in this world right now in our in our city? Where where where, where would you actually go? Because, I mean, you know, between streetlights, cameras, satellite, every, I mean, you're going to be found. And the hopelessness that, that arises at the end of this issue, you realize just how screwed these soldiers are and just how and, – and more specifically, what the hell is ENIAC up to? What is ENIAC up to? What is an AI intelligence that has 60 years of thinking to do and planning and can think a trillion times faster than any of us. What the hell is this computer AI been planning for all this period of time? And so by the time I'm thinking to myself, there's no way issue four, one issue is going to be able to answer that question. And it somehow it manages to uh, uh, satisfy me in, in a number of ways and uh, cause me to ask a lot more questions, but we'll, we'll get to that. But great issue three, man. Great, great third act. Yeah, don't give Facebook too much credit. 2004 is when it debuted, but oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, but but I mean, you're right. When you say 1996, so not, right around 95, 96 is when the internet like really took off. Um, 90, 96 was right around the time when AOL, you know, American Online, okay. was those discs <laughs> out, and that was really a lot of people's first uh, exposure to the internet, and and you know, kind of networking and social media, you know, followed soon after. So you're not you're not far off when you say 96 is kind of the you know the beginning of the internet age. I'd say mid 90s for sure. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, issue four, um, it, it it starts off. We get more uh, a little bit more context about uh, Fletcher's mother. And we find out that, yeah, not only was Fletcher's mother really hearing ENIAC's voice, um, but Fletcher was as well. Uh, so it was it was in their orange juice. It was in the toys they gave her. It was in her uh, little, you know, speak and spell. They call it a type and talk, but be you know, basically speak and spell. Um, yeah, so ENIAC 
it's been playing the long game. It knew that it would be Fletcher that was on the, you know, one of the leaders of the team that would come to take him out all these years later. Uh, you know, just when you think about that, you can make it make sense. I mean, it seems far-fetched, but at the same time, man, if you knew every variable, you, you understood human behavior and what have you, yeah, you can predict things like that. When they get, uh, they're trying to get through this maze, and it's, yeah, it's basically like a, a psych ops operation, they call it, you know, um, because they're messing with these soldiers. There's hallucinogenic gases. There's scenes, uh, things that remind them of their past. As I said, the one soldier, uh, his father's flat is there. Uh, but Fletcher and Falk do make it to where ENIAC is, and, and Falk realizes that ENIAC has been one step ahead of them this entire time. And so her thinking, Falk's thinking is, uh, we can't do this. We can't put the little wooden board up there and feed in the knots or whatever. Because if ENIAC has allowed us to get this far, that must be what it wants us to do. Because it, it's, it knows, it has been able to like almost predict the future. Uh, so we can't do it. But again, Fletcher... Uh, in, in a way has been brainwashed. She's always heard this voice in her head and she thought it was her sort of her conscience for you know lack of a better term. But really it's been ENIAC all along that's been uh, been talking to her and she's uh, she's determined. There's a great scene where we get a almost a reprint of a page that we got in the previous issue where uh, Fletcher was sort of remembering things that she went through in the army and her youth and what have you. And now we're seeing them again from her perspective, but we're seeing them with the voice that she heard in her head that she took to be, you know, the voice in her head of her conscience or her will or whatever. Um, but that voice is actually ENIAC that's telling her in those times, uh, you know, what to do, stand firm, that sort of thing. Um, and so Falk and Fletcher actually have a little bit of a, a knockdown drag out. Uh, but ultimately Falk is not able to stop Fletcher from feeding, uh, in the, the little knots. Um, and, you know, Falk pushes Fletcher out of the way, blasts a hole in the doors um, uh, that lead to where she thinks Aniac will be. And there's just a, a, a talking type there, a speaking spell with a little message that says, goodbye, Fletcher, and thank you. And so you're wondering, like, what? Goodbye? Like, goodbye, humanity? Uh, and Aniac's not there. He's not there any longer. And so Falk is obviously very concerned scene switches to sort of like a NORAD type um, setting where the uh, defense secretary is. He's on the phone with the president. President's asking him how it's going. And the secretary of defense says, uh, well, to be honest with you, I believe we might be well and truly fucked. Uh, all the nuclear missiles on the earth are fired off. Um, they send out all these strike teams to different uh, places around the globe where they know or they think ENIAC has um, has like little safe houses. Most of those soldiers are defeated in one way or another. Uh, meanwhile, on the talking type that's down in that bunker where Falk and Fletcher are, there's a countdown. Uh, and when that countdown reaches zero, as I said, all the nuclear weapons are launched off. Everybody believes it's Armageddon. It's the end of the world. But ENIAC actually just launches all those missiles into space. They don't come back down. Uh, they go out into space and they basically float away except for one. One flies to Mars, lands on Mars, releases a bunch of little uh, drones that construct uh, a, a rocket and that rocket launches off into space and then sends a bunch of other little rockets out into the galaxy. Uh, and then we skip forward uh, a, a little bit in time. <laughs> We're in the Secretary of Defense's office. He's talking to Falcon Fletcher and he's basically explaining, yeah, 
ENIAC launched all the missiles off. They didn't explode. He's basically sent himself out into the galaxy. He appears to be gone from Earth. Um, and so that, you know, that seems to be a good thing, right? Uh, Fletcher wonders if that's, that's true. You know, she has a little insight. She no longer hears the voice for the first time in her life. Her mother as well seems to be uh, sane now, no longer schizophrenic, doesn't hear the voice anymore. Um, and it's interesting. This is a good thing that ENIAC's gone. He's, he's out there. It, uh, Fletcher postulates that, um, that ENIAC had no more to learn from us. Could have destroyed us, but didn't. Sees us as toddlers, you know, not really worth destroying in a lot of ways. Um, so he's at, he's out there in in yeah, out there in the universe, looking for something more than what humanity has to offer. So so pretty interesting, pretty interesting when you uh, when you think about it. And then the secretary asks Falk and Fletcher if uh, he can help them clean up some more messes that have been created because now that nobody has any nuclear weapons, there are no more superpowers. Uh, quote unquote, and so they know they'll be busy uh, doing uh, soldier work. So uh, I had forgotten about that ending, that part of the ending. Um, like we easily could get a sequel, but we and we haven't yet. But I'm sure Matt Kent can dive back into the world of uh, of Fletcher and Falk. Would necessarily have any act in it, but I wouldn't mind seeing what these uh, these two characters are up to now. Uh, and then, kind of as an epilogue, almost we do see. Uh, Fletcher's mother, she's out in a kind of a remote cabin with a nurse. And uh, again, she's not hearing the voices, seems more sane, a little more connected to Fletcher than she's been in a, in a long time. So all this worry, all this um, uh, tension, all this um, angst that ENIAC was, you know, there was a countdown, ENIAC was going to destroy mankind. Was ENIAC basically setting the wheels in motion to force the powers that be to use Falk and Fletcher to go and, fr and free him, to give him the means with whatever that code was, to give him the means to leave Earth so he could go out there and search for something more. Um, so, yeah, in a way, kind of uplifting, right? Like yep. humanity created something um, and it started off and it, it was it was a little more malevolent at first, uh, seemed that way. Um, but in the end, it sort of, it learned, it watched humanity, it learned, it sort of transcended and said, you know, uh, so often, you know, I think of like, I think of Star Trek uh, or Stargate SG-1, that, that's another great show where um, there's these advanced civilizations and they look, they kind of look down on Earthlings a little bit. Oh, you're still young as a species, you still have a lot to learn. Doesn't mean there's not value, doesn't mean we're going to kill you, um, but, you know, a little pat on the head, run, run along. Uh, and in a way, it was like... Um, Eniac had had uh, had outgrown us. He had out, had outgrown humanity, and has you know has left to find something better. Not to say it can't go out there and learn terrible things and come back and destroy us after all. Uh, but what a way to end it, right? What a twist. So, uh, what did you think of how it all wrapped up, Rocky? Well, what I think is brilliant about this is why would why on earth would I think this would end badly? I'll tell you why. I projected my own fears into the story. And yet it became clear that ENIAC himself had more faith in humanity than I do. And what's funny is ENIAC, ENIAC could see through all our emotional bullshit. Uh, even with Fletcher, I thought that was beautifully portrayed, as you indicated. Throughout Fletcher's life, it was ENIAC speaking to Fletcher. He could see Fletcher's potential. He could see humanity's potential. But he could also see our frailties and our flaws and our fears. And in a way, we're kind of pathetic. But 
the 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 beautiful thing, the the most positive thing one can say about a about a blindly logical AI is that it, it sees through the superfluous emotions and the stuff that that the stuff that hinders us, the stuff that's holding us back. Arguably, he knows what humanity is capable of. It's capable. We're capable of a lot of bad things, but our potential is even greater. And he saw that, but he also realized he he had that he had no role in in teaching us and, and pushing us along the way. He just it, he know that we needed more time. We're not we're not like Eniac is. So what does Eniac do? Well, he's like I said, he's learned everything. What do you do when you learn when you when if you get everything you know? It's like when we're done reading a book or reading a comic. Well, we've read it. We know everything in it. What do we do? We move on. We want more comics. You know, this this ending reminded me of the end of Watchmen. You know, Dr. Manhattan, he's 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 learned every can he can on earth. He's going to go out and explore the multiverse. And Eniac himself wants to do that. It's that thirst for knowledge. And how do you know Eniac's gain sentience? It's that thirst for knowledge. Once you have it, you need to have more of it. But also, not only does, does Eniac get that sentience, but there's something about sentience. There's always that hint that Sentience brings with it a degree of humanity because that's clearly what Eniac has. And Eniac has a kind of a dark sense of humor, scaring the hell out of humanity by launching all those nuclear missiles, but launching them into space by scaring the hell out of us and hopefully scaring us into a better tomorrow and a better version of ourselves. And that's what I just, I, I really love this ending because it's, it's throwing our fears in our faces and saying, you know what? You should be fearful of yourselves, but you should be more hopeful of, of what your potential is. And so I just, I really love this story. And it, it, it gives me a little bit more renewed faith in AI that it could, it could be our savior, uh, just as much as it can be our uh, destruction. Yeah, the difference, of course, being we haven't figured out a way to uh, infuse any emotion into uh, artificial intelligence yet. Because you're right, when you say any act displays this degree of humanity, uh, it's right there in the message, right? When, uh, yeah, he, he knows that if he were to come and ask, they'd say, no, we're not going to let you leave Earth. We'll find a way. Well, if any act is actually benevolent or is not malevolent, uh, how can we exploit it? How can we use it against our enemies? What have you? It doesn't want that. So, you know, it, it doesn't let us in on what its plans are. But when it finally does um, manipulate events to the point where it's allowed to escape Earth, it thanks Fletcher. It says, Fletcher, thank you. Uh, you know, goodbye and thank you. Um, there is that level of emotion, you know, it was talked about in the very first issue by Ned. Hey, he talks about, well, if emotions are just chemical reactions, that, you know, in a way, that's just ones and zeros. You know, it's the same thing. I've got to figure out a way to make ENIAC care. Um, and so, yeah, I mentioned in, in, at the beginning, we were talking about this. ENIAC made, is made by a human. So, you know, it, inherently, it is sort of made uh, in our image, if you will, because it's so heavily influenced by, uh, hu by human behavior and what have you, because it's created by a human. Uh, and the other thing that gives me hope, it's like, ENIAC wants to learn. ENIAC is in itself sort of uh, goes through sort of a, a cycle of growth, right? Like it's sort of a toddler. It's sort of lashing out. It drops a second bomb. It goes through, you know, a rebellious phase and adolescence, that being the Cold War. And now now it's learned everything. It's watched humanity. It's, it's time to move on. Could this be what humanity eventually gets to? Because ENIAC clearly wants, wants the best for humanity. That's why it launches all the nuclear missiles you mentioned. It, you know, scared straight sort of thing. Uh, not so different from what the um, advanced underwater civilization in the abyss does, right? They 
at the end, the tidal waves are going to come. They're going to destroy all of civilization. Then they back off. Hey, uh, wise up. Stop polluting the planet. You know, you know, I know people think it's preachy from James Cameron or whatever. But, I mean, the message is true. And so it, kind of the same thing here. ENIAC is going to go off. It's learned everything it can learn. It's done everything it can do on Earth. Uh, but as kind of a, a parting message, if you will, hey, if you follow the same path that I've done, if you – you know, learn everything and take an objective look and, and have some humanity, have some empathy, you can get to the same place that ENIAC is in terms of knowledge and know that the answer is not more weapons, it's not uh, disharmony, but it's actually unity. And look what you can accomplish if you come together. You can transcend Earth, you can go out there into the galaxy, uh, and who knows what, what else you might discover. So, yeah, absolutely amazing story uh, and a great balance with the character of Fletcher, with how much Falk clearly cares about Fletcher, uh, to bring in that relevance to give us the smaller story and give us characters to care about. Fletcher's mom is another good example. Because if you just went with the wide scope, you might not have that touchstone that you can relate to and make it feel like a story that, that has emotion. And I mean, Falk and Fletcher in that final issue, th there's a lot of angst. You know, they're, they're, they're equally passionate about... Uh, you know, their points of view. And, and again, these are people who have lived their lives together, who've been intimate together, uh, who are, you know, now partners in this sort of uh, freelance soldier of fortune uh, business that they have. Um, they're, and they're passionate. They're ready to kill each other uh, over their belief. Um, and that kind of emotion uh, really sells the story along with, as you said, Rocky, um, any scaring the shit out of, humanity with the when the missiles launch i love that scene with the secretary where he tells the president he goes yeah i think we're well and truly fucked uh that's absolutely uh, absolutely amazing and and i can't imagine anybody but doug braithwaite drawing this because he's equally good at emotion especially when it comes to the facial expressions and the detail but also the action scenes the weaponry uh the explosions the uh yeah the it's just fantastic. Gorgeous art, gorgeous colors from Diego Rodriguez. Um, what a first series. What a what a great example of what bad idea is, right? A publisher that wants to put story first, high production value. You know, if you have the hard copies of these, you know how amazing they are. Really thick cover stock, really thick paper stock, gorgeous art, gorgeous color. Um, just, yeah, just amazing. So. Yeah, no, and uh, you know, thank you for uh, th thank you for uh, uh, very truly waiting, uh, you know, almost a year for to give me the final two issues. But uh, I, I thank you for that. I'll consider it an early Christmas present. So I I I I really do enjoy this. Uh, this is uh, this is uh, again the only the only bad thing about that idea is that it's not as readily accessible to uh, avid readers like myself as I would like it to be, but hopefully over time that will uh, that will change, but we, we shall see. Yeah, and there's lots of bad idea stories that do do mail order. Uh, unfortunately, you know, Rocky's up there in Canada, so you got to pay uh, through the nose for, for shipping, but if you're in the United States, if there's not a bad idea store as close to you, there's a lot that do uh, do shipping, and then obviously if you, uh, if you join any of their Kickstarter campaigns, there's a chance to get a lot of the, the back matter as well. So again, thanks everybody for joining us. Really appreciate it. As the 12 days of the comic source continues, we'll be continuing with the bad idea theme. Uh, tomorrow's episode, we'll talk about tankers, the uh, three issue series uh, from uh, Robert Venditti as a writer, Juan Jose Reap uh, on the art duties, uh, three issues 
with more dinosaurs than you can shake a stick at. So we'll be back with that tomorrow. We appreciate the support as always, everybody. Don't forget to go to wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, do a search for the comic source and subscribe. Don't miss out on any of our audio only content. Uh, you can check this out on our YouTube channel as well. If you want to see some of the, uh, artwork and what have you. And then of course, be sure to go over to YouTube and subscribe to uh, Rocky's channel, Comic Space Boom! Exclamation point. He's got a ton of great content up there as well. It's where we uh, post our DC spotlight every week. So you can see all the DC books that are out uh, every week on, uh, on Tuesdays. So as I said, we appreciate the support as always. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and we'll see you tomorrow. Catch you later.